On The Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. There is so much to be said about the soul uh, that I wanted to do this series on it. And so I, I just think there's a lot of sincere people, specifically Christians, wrestling with their faith. And I think people are struggling with the church, the capital C church, the body of Christ, the church on that corner that meets in the theater, that's in the storefront, that has property like this, right? And I think there's a lot of things that are contributing to this. I think first, I think we're living in what's called a postmodern culture. We kind of know it all. There's, there's what's called pluralism. I don't know if you've heard of this word, but pluralism is where everything is acceptable. Everything is possible. Everything is true. Nothing is wrong. That's called pluralism, right? That's kind of the culture we're living in. There's a, there is a selfish individualism. The individualism that makes family and community connection really hard. We, we live in a culture that celebrates individualism. Got to be an individual, an independence, right? There is an intellectual antagonism. Higher education that comes against the, there is this anti-church reaction, toward religion in general. And it's all caused a general, what I would consider a tiredness in the church. Just like, geez, when's it going to let up? And then the Bible tells us way in the back, it says, hey man, we have suffered, but not to the point of death on the cross. <laughs> We've had people judge us, etc. right? But bottom line is it's not an easy time to be a Christian. And so in this series, Soul, uh, Soul Sanity, I want to talk about the integration the putting together, and the disintegration, the falling apart, the pulling apart with the choices that we make, the people and the things that we allow into our lives and the stuff we don't allow into our lives. What are the things that we go, that has no part of my life. That, that is unacceptable. Uh, this is acceptable, but not that for sure. We all have lines that we draw. This is okay. I'm allowed to drink this much, just not that much. I can watch these kinds of movies, just not those kinds of movies. We all have lines that we draw, and that's the integration and the disintegration that leads to soul sanity and soul insanity. The soul, if you're taking notes this morning, I've got these notes for you. The soul isn't something we have, it's something we are. If you don't have the church app, I encourage you to get the church app because I'm gonna give you scriptures this morning. I'm gonna give you some things to think about that, that I believe the Lord wants you to be thinking about or I wouldn't be taking all this time to tell you. Uh, but it's these things. So if you, if you have the church app, these notes are for you. The soul isn't something we have, it's something that we are. The soul is what makes us alive. The soul, in fact, when we die, we say this, the soul has left the body. In fact, when we die, we no longer call it a body, we call it a corpse, right? The, the soul is what brings us life, and a healthy soul has got to do two things for us. Two things have to happen. If we're going to keep our hearts and our minds in proper place of alignment, first is this one, the healthy soul functions like a fire in the veins. It's an energy 
A healthy soul makes me go, life, I have to grab it. I have to hold on to it. I have to make this thing happen. It keeps us vibrant. It keeps us living with passion. It give, the soul, a healthy soul, when it's got fire in it, gives us hope for tomorrow, for today, believing that this life ultimately is beautiful and it's life worth living. The healthy soul says, I gotta live life. Whenever this breaks down, however, something happens, we become wrong in our souls, that's when cynicism, despair, bitterness, depression, it paralyzes our energy. When you go, I just don't even wanna get out of bed. Man, today I just, I'm just so... No, here's what we need to say. I'm just soul weary. Something's wrong with our soul. Something in our soul is hurting. And, and secondly, here's another thing. The healthy soul functions like a glue. It's an adhesive. See, that first one, a fire, gets us going out. I got to grab and get life. The soul also functions like a glue, an adhesive that holds us together. It brings us a sense of who we are. Our, our soul tells us where we came from, where we're going, and it makes, helps make sense of all this. What is going on in the world? The soul brings us those answers. When our, when our soul is at peace, when our soul is at rest. When the soul is unhealthy, we don't feel together. That's, again, a healthy soul is that adhesive that holds us together. The unhealthy soul, you ever, you ever had these? I just feel like I'm falling apart. If that phrase has ever come to you, I just feel like life is just falling apart. Something's wrong with your soul, and it's not holding you together. And so I want to deal with these two functions, fire and glue, because they're in a constant place of tension. Because you hear that one makes us go out, one holds us all together. And that's the tension. It's where, where do I hold myself together and where do I go out? And that tension is the same for every single one of us. I want you to know that the soul passion and the soul uh, expression was the, listen to me, was the exact same in Mother Teresa and Janis Joplin. They just played it out differently. The passion, the I've got to do something about the fire in me, was in both of them. But what held them together was very different. That's for all of us. It's for all of us. We tend to lean one direction or the other. I have friends who, he, he, he tells me, this is me. I just, I want to be, just, I want, I, I don't want any, <laughs> I don't want valleys, I don't want mountains, I just want. I go, oh. See me, um, pray for my bride. <laughs> because I, I have this fire running in me and I need to learn to lean into the glue. I think that's why Jesus told us in Matthew 16, he says, what is it gonna benefit you if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? What, what's the benefit? Is anything worth more than losing your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And we're willing to give up our soul for a lot of things. We'll give up our soul for acceptance. We give up our soul for all sorts of things. And this is why it's this right here is so important. This, this scripture, Jesus saying, hey, you can gain the whole world. Don't lose your soul in the midst of it. You're out there. I got to get this. I got to get this. I need freedom in this area. And God goes, yeah, you could lose your soul going for that freedom. 
Jesus says, hey, is anything worth more than that? So the question is, what's healthy for my soul? We've got to ask this question. So what's healthy for my soul and what's unhealthy for my soul? What leads to more soul health and what leads to soul unhealth? I think the first thing, the first and most healthy thing that we can do is to know God. Knowing, knowing God, I, I believe, brings the world sanity. People who know God are sane people. We struggle with sobriety, sanity, and stability. This one, sanity, is brought about when people know God. There is a, a context, a perspective change, because I know what God's doing. Every generation needs to know God for themselves. And it's this knowledge of God and how he works in our lives how he operates in, in our lives that helps us appreciate what he is doing. We go, oh, I know what's happening. God is at work in my life. But the question is, is it possible, listen to this question, is it possible to live with someone every day and not know them? Right? Is it possible to live in a family and the family members not know one another? Right? A lot of us experience that, right? Each day we interact with people at work, at school, in the community, around the community, right? But we really don't know them. Now, we might know their names. We might know a little bit about them. We might know maybe one of their hobbies or a name of a family member, right? But that doesn't mean that we know that person. There are so many homes today where the family members don't know each other. Think, think about it for a moment. There are kids who know more about their parents than the parents know about their kids. Simply because we're not listening. I'm too busy, I haven't got time, I'll get to it later, okay, fine. yeah, that's great, okay, all right, yeah, 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 yeah. And the kids know about us, but we don't know about our kids. And the question is, are we listening? There's so many young people today growing up in families where they don't know their parents. They live in the same house, but they may as well be in a separate world because they close themselves off, shut themselves off into, into a room all by themselves, and they shut out the rest of the family. These, what I call screenagers, some of them, right? These screenagers will mute all the noise in the family with noise reduction headphones and earbuds, and they like, now I don't have to listen to everything that's going Mom and dad arguing and brother and sister doing this, and I just want to close it all down. And sometimes, that's, there have good reasons for closing everything down. I don't want to hear all the arguing that's going on. I, I, I don't want to hear that. It doesn't make it right. It's just a reason. And we need to ask ourselves, why? Why are my kids closing off from me? It's a rapidly growing phenomenon, I think, in the modern family, where each member becomes accustomed to living with strangers in the house. Well, yeah, that's, that's the mother parental unit. That's the father parental unit, if both units are in the house. Again, there are parents who don't know their kids. There's kids who don't know their parents. There's husbands and wives who don't know each other the way they used to know each other. And if that's possible, then I'd like to tell you this. I think it's also possible that there's a generation of believers who don't really know God. I really believe that. 
that there is a generation of believers who don't really know God. Because I think it's possible for us to be in his presence daily and not know the history of his dealings with us or what makes him happy or angry or know the value of his promises toward us. It's possible, I believe this and I have seen it, for people to come to church every Sunday, call themselves Christians, and not really know God. That's what Jesus said. Watch this. You got your Bibles? Come over with me to the good news of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. I encourage you to bring a Bible to church because you're going to want to look this up later this week. You're going to go, where was that verse? And if you underline it, that's what I do. I make a mess of my Bible. So I, I go through a Bible about every two years. I, I, I completely destroy, like the, 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 the back is coming out. My maps are starting to fall out. And it's just, I go through my Bible. It is a workbook. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Listen to what Jesus says. Not everybody who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven are going to be the ones who enter. On judgment day, many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, performed miracles in your name. But I'm going to reply, listen to this, I never knew you. I never knew you. Get away from me, those of you who are breaking God's laws. See, every generation has got to learn to know God for themselves. My parents know God. Isn't that enough for me to get into heaven? Nope. My brother knows God. My sister knows God. My neighbor knows God. I'm a good person. Not enough. Jesus said this, you cannot say, Lord, his title, his place, his position in the universe. Lord, Lord, I don't know you. But I know you, I know your name. Lord, Lord. Nope. As I said earlier, I think knowing God is what gives the world sanity. And it's a sense of purpose that we bring to the world around us. But not knowing God brings frustration, brings trouble, brings destruction. When we remove God, say, God is not allowed here. That's what happens. Destruction. It's, it's total chaos. Take a look at our schools. We said, no more God in school. We're, you're not allowed to do that. That's, that's out. And then, no, no more. You can't bring Bibles to work. That's out. And you can't, you can't talk about religion. That's out. And now, and now there's a nurse right now who is suing because she was fired because she wore a cross on her neck. You're not allowed to do that. She's like, what? She got fired for wearing a cross. She never said anything about it, but you see, no, and now it's not, not allowed in the hospitals? Wait, what? As believers, we strive to know God for ourselves, and then we strive to make sure that the world around us knows him as well. That's, that's our place. Today, I want to encourage you, and I'm going to encourage you to write this one down. Tell someone today how you know God so that they can know him too. That's what happens, man. And it's not like it's, oh, praise God. I, I've been in these groups, right? Praise God, if I was any more blessed, I'd be twins, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, man, this last weekend, we got some bills in, and I just wasn't sure what was going to happen. It's like the Lord totally provided for us. Wait, what? 
Yeah, I, I, like last minute, I wasn't even expecting this check, but a reimbursement check came in and God totally provided for this one bill. Just those simple little stories of how you know God is interacting in your life. Or is it just like, oh great, the check came in. You know the story, right? It's, it's Christmas time, you're driving up one aisle, I told you the story, up one aisle, down the other, looking for a parking space, and then you throw out a prayer, and you say, Lord, as you're looking for those spaces, Lord, if you find me a parking space up close, I'll, I'll start serving in Sunday school. And then all of a sudden, you pull up, and uh, like two spaces from the door, and you're like, forget it, I found one. <laughs> huh? Huh? Right? It's this moment that we go, wait, God has done these things in our life. I'm not saying he's the God of parking lots, although maybe. When we do this, it reminds us of his faithfulness. When we tell other people the stories of what God has done in our life, it reminds us of his faithfulness to us, but it also encourages other people. And so I encourage you, please tell someone. Now, watch this. I'm going to do a little Old Testament overview. This thing back here, way back in the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's called the Pentateuch, Pent, five. There's these five books that Moses wrote. And so here's where it all starts. Way back in Genesis, you have creation, and then you have this thing called Israel that takes place. A guy named Jacob becomes Israel, right? And he becomes God's people, right? His people become God's people. He makes this deal, this covenant with God, right? And then what happens is in Genesis, he ends up going into a place called Egypt, and they become slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And they continue to multiply. And then in Exodus, the second book, in Exodus, God says, I'm going to get you out of Egypt. You guys don't belong here. I get why you came. There was this famine that was going on way back here in Genesis. Joseph, the, chapter 50 over here, right? And then he says, I'm going to get you out of Egypt. I'm going to bring you out. And so huge. It's amazing. Some of you know 10 plagues, you know, frogs and gnats and boils and all this stuff. Right? And he gets them out. Right? And then Exodus, Leviticus, right? He says, hey, now that you're out, I'm in the third book now. Now that you're out, here's the way I need you to interact with one another, and here's the way I want you to interact with me. These are the rules for the road. You want to play this well? I'm your creator. I know how I made you. This is the way you're to function. Leviticus. Then we get into numbers, and he starts going, how many of you are there? And he said, okay, there's you, you, and you. Don't forget, this is the way you serve me. You, you, and you. Don't forget, this is the way you serve me, right? And then Deuteronomy, full on all the laws, the fifth book of these, this Pentateuch, right? He goes, hey, let me lay this out to you. These are the rules. These cannot be broken. And if you follow these rules, it's going to go well with you. And if you don't follow these rules, it's not going to go well with you. He says, you got to get this down. So this is this Old Testament history, right? Well, now, now that they're out of Egypt, where are we going? Well, he says, I'm going to give you this land over here. This land over here, at the time, the way he explains this, this land over here, it flows with milk and honey. And, and essentially, it's abundant. And this is the land I promised to give you. So he gives it this name. He goes, that's the promised land. The land I promised to you. And Moses dies. So this new guy steps up guy named Joshua. And Joshua says, I'm, I'm going to lead the people into the promised land. Okay? So then you get this, this Joshua. And Joshua leads this conquest of this land called Canaan. He brings them into Canaan. And now they're possessing this land. They're conquering these armies. They're doing all this amazing stuff. And while Joshua's generation lives, the memory of God and what he had done remained strong. Oh man, do you remember when God did this? Remember when God did that? Joshua's generation 
I think would be called the greatest generation. Like we, we use that, there's the greatest generation. Joshua's generation was the greatest generation of his time. It was an amazing time. By God's grace, they defeated bigger armies. They watched the sun stand still in the sky. Great stories in Joshua. They walk around a city and the walls fall down. It's amazing stuff. They step into a river, poop, as they step in, the, the river goes, it divides, and the Bible says that they cross on dry ground. Like, I don't know how that happens, but it's an amazing story, right? I'm like, the narrative is very clear. And how sad that when Joshua's generation died off, so did the memory of everything that God had done for these people. All the victories, and everybody's forgetting. So just keep going, Joshua. The next book over, watch this, into Judges. I'm going to go into Judges chapter 2. This is the beginning of what happened when they forgot who God is. When people don't know who God is, this is what happens. When people don't acknowledge God is the one who brought these victories, God is the one who brought this check out of the blue, when they stop recognizing and, and saying, God is responsible for these amazing things. Judges is the explanation of all that. And in Judges chapter 2, starting in verse 10, listen to this. Chapter 2, the book of Judges, I'm just, I'm just right in here, I'm in seven books in, right? Chapter, ten, chapter 2, starting verse 10. After that generation had died, that did all the conquering into Canaan, right? Another generation grew up who didn't acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. See, this generation to whom God had been so faithful had raised a generation that was faithless. I don't know how that happened. I'll try and explore some of it. But then verse 11, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and serve the images of Baal. In other words, foreign gods, idols. Verse 12, they abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. Remember, I just got through that quick history, right? They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. See, their parents were this strong and courageous generation that took possession of the land that God had promised them. But then what happened? What happened that led to this, this right here, verses 11 and 12? What happened from, from Joshua doing all this great stuff to Judges chapter 1? It's like, what? Maybe they were too tired. Maybe. Oh, I'm just so tired. We defeated all those armies. I haven't got time to tell my kids what's happened. I don't have time to pass on that it was the Lord who fought for us. I ain't got time for that. Maybe after they moved into the cities that they didn't build and they're eating from gardens they didn't plant, maybe they got all comfy cozy. I don't know. Hey, life's easy. I know, listen, I know it happened for us when we got into this property. We were in a small property up Sierra Highway. Some of you know about that. Then we were meeting in a junior high. We were setting up Sunday after Sunday. And then we got in here. We, we took possession of our Canaan, right? We took possession. And people went, ah, finally, we don't have to do anything. I'm like, oh, no. This is where the work begins. And I had to, as a pastor, I had to lead us. Hey, 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 hey. Just because we got into our promised land, 
which, by the way, this seven and a half acres, if you don't know, God gave us this land, $750,000 cash. We owned this property, right? It was, we walked in with cash, and now we go, oh, well, now what are we going to do? <laughs> it was miraculous, and I tell, well, I just now did. I tell the story all the time. You know why? Because it helps me remember how God has been faithful, and it encourages other people. Try and find seven and a half acres in Santa Clarita for $750,000. And there was another bid on the table that for $1.3 million. We like, oh, we don't have that money. All we have is $750,000. And the judge, I'm in the courtroom. The judge says, we're going to give, it was a bankruptcy court. We're giving the property to the church. They've been around a long time. They're going to continue to be around a long time. We're going to give it. And I'm like, they just turned down a better offer. Oh, God is good. But see, what happened is we moved in here, we go, oh, my butt is so comfortable on these cushions. Finally, I don't have to sit in folding metal chairs at the junior high. Oh, no, 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 no. Hey, stop. Hey, we're here for those who aren't here. And I had to, I had to keep getting that message in. No, we've got more conquering to do. We've got to bring the kingdom of God here as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us how to pray. This is all part of it. Well, maybe, so maybe they started getting comfy, right? Maybe they weren't intentionally dropping the ball. Maybe they weren't going, ah, let's not tell our kids. But I'll tell you what, one thing is certain. They were not purposeful about passing on their story to their children. If we want to see our children come to Jesus, they have to see us come to Jesus. You can't take them to Sunday school and go, hey, make sure you read your Bible and then never read your Bible. It just doesn't work that way. We, we have a word for that, hypocrite. Do as I say, not as I do. And I bet, I just bet, right? I, I was laughing as I was preparing for this teaching, right? And I'm, and I'm going through this, and I'm like, what happened? What happened to this family, right? And I bet they had this hanging in their living room, right? I bet you this, this is, uh, I, you know, it was Joshua, right? <laughs> as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But the kids are like, yeah, not me. Why? Why not? It, we have this, we have this, it was so nicely framed, in our house. Here we are in Judges, right? We're in Canaan. We've got the promised land. We've got Joshua up on the wall. As for me, my house will serve the Lord. How come they don't serve the Lord? What's going on here? Sadly, Scripture tells us that this generation who had received so much of God's gracious activity in their life raised a generation, the Bible says, who didn't know the Lord or the work that he had done for them. Hmm. So the book of Judges reminds us again and again, and you can fill this in, that when we forget the mighty acts of God, we stop worshiping him. If you forget everything that God has done, you literally just stop thanking him. When we focus on, I have to wear these masks, we stop worshiping him. When we complain about, oh, gas prices are up to five bucks, we stop worshiping him. Now, I'm not saying, right, you plug it in. Click, click, click. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Right? Hey, I'm not that. I, I, but, but I'm letting you know, listen, we stop praising God when we look at our problems as opposed to looking at our victories. And I've been over that, right? Whenever you can, beloved, think on these things, the things that are worthy of praise, the things that are right and good. And, right? That, that's where we got to start changing our mindset. But when we worship when we stop worshiping God, the Bible's clear, we start worshiping the idols and the things that the culture worships. I get caught there. I want a new car. 
I want a new house. I want the nice drywall. I want the rounded corners. What is that? Drive by the new car. Let's go down that street. Let's go. Ooh, look at it. Ooh, shiny. Ooh. And, and, I, and I lose track. God's provided for me. I have a car that runs. It's great. But I want that. See, and, and we lose track of it and we start to worship the things the culture worships. And when they worship the foreign gods, you go through judges and it says that God's, here's what the Bible says, that God's anger burned against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. <laughs> he goes, okay, you don't know who I am, then you're on your own. You want to be on your own? Yeah, we don't need God. Okay, cool. I'll be here on the throne. When you need me, let me know. And they got destroyed over and over and over again. We need to let it be known that God is real. So that when someone like Pharaoh, back here in Exodus, the Pharaoh in this generation, and we've all got a Pharaoh somewhere in our life, I know we do, comes up to us and asks, hey, who's God? Why should I listen to him? That's what Pharaoh said to Moses. Hey, who's God? Why should I be listening to your God? Who is this God, right? Do you have an answer for that? Do you have an answer if someone asked you today, who is God? Is there an answer for that? The problem is when our soul is unhealthy, then there is soul insanity. Soul insanity. And you just look around. In fact, there is a great description of our culture, and it's given right here in Judges chapter 7. I'm telling you, you read it and you go, oh, that's America, 2022. If you have your Bibles, check this out. It's in Judges chapter 17. It's also in Judges chapter 21. The exact same words are given twice in the same book. And it describes, this is the United States of America, 2022. Listen to what it says. In those days, Israel had no king. Watch this. And all the people did whatever was right in their own eyes. That describes the world that I live in. That is the newspaper headlines. That is what I see every day. Everybody's doing whatever seems right in their own eyes. That is a great description of our culture's unsanity. It is crazy. When we do the things that keep us energized and integrated and on fire, held together, glued together, we get soul sanity. We get healthy spirituality. That's what I'm after. The integration and the disintegration, the pushing out and getting the things of God and holding together the things of God inside of us, right? With the choices that we're making, the people that we are allowing into our lives and the stuff that we're not allowing into our lives and the people that we're not allowing. You know what? That person, listen, I, I, I've done this. I don't hang out with that person. That person brings insanity to me. I choose to disintegrate that relationship. This is a relationship I need to integrate with. God wants our souls healthy. You want a healthy soul? Integration, disintegration. We have an ability, as I said, first thing today, we have the ability to respond. Response, able. What will you do today to bring your soul sanity? You are in charge of that. 
You are in control of that by the choices you make, by the things you allow in your life and the things you don't allow in your life, by the people you allow in your life and the people you don't allow in your life. Let me pray. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for your word that encourages us. And yet we have words inside of us that will encourage us and encourage others. And so I'm asking in Jesus' name that as we go into this time of worship today, that you would go with us. We want your presence more than anything else. We want to know you. Moses said it. Why would I go into the promised land without you? If you ain't going, I ain't going. And so, Father, we make that prayer today. I want to know you. And so we choose these songs. We choose to actually sing today. We choose to let these words come out of my face. Let my voice box be rumbling with these words of your faithfulness and your kindness and your grace and your mercy to me, through me, in my life, around my life. I choose to worship today in Jesus' name. Let it be so and let it be done.